Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 64. Going to start with InfoSec news. A zero day was found in Microsoft SMB, and it's received a CVSS score maximum of 10. And it applies to lots of different versions of Windows, including Windows 10. There's no fix until Patch Tuesday, which is February 14th. So you need to make sure you have filtering both in and out of your networks. And the ports you want to cover are 139, 445, 137, and 138. And you should probably do that on both protocols. So when it's released, the Celebrite hacking tools, which tells us this is exactly why you don't build backdoors in the systems. This is the group of mobile hacking tools that has evidently been sold to lots of different governments. And some portion of that tool set has been leaked. The IRS is warning of a tax-related phishing campaign. Basically, the attackers spoof a company executive within a corporation and ask people to send their W-2 forms and or to perform bank transfers. It's been super successful, and it's picking up quite a bit of steam right now because of the tax season. Up to 150,000 internet-connected printers all over the world have been probed by an attacker who sent messages saying that they've been owned. GitLab has had some major drama after losing significant data when they discovered their backups were not usable. Basically, someone had run the infamous rm-rf command, been there, and uh, deleted tons of content, like almost a terabyte worth of content before they figured out that they should stop running that command. Personally, whenever I run rm-rf and I see uh, it just sits and hangs for a little while, I panic because I'm like, okay, what is this thing actually deleting? Because it should have stopped, you know, after like a tenth of a second. Vulnerabilities have been discovered in some Honeywell web-based SCADA controllers. Using the issues, attackers can access a certain URL and extract clear text passwords that can be used to access the networks that those devices reside on. Never a good thing. A British man and a Swedish woman have been arrested for attacking a Washington DC surveillance cameras with ransomware. 123 out of 187 network video recorders were rendered non-functional. And HTTPS has crossed the historic milestone of being used on 50% of sites, according to Mozilla. Technology news, Apple has purchased Vocal IQ, a company working to bring deep context to conversations with machines. So the idea is you can say something to the machine, the machine can say something back, and then you just sort of continue having a conversation with it. So quite an improvement over most of the interactions that you currently have with these types of systems. 
Planet has purchased Terabella from Google. So I believe Terabella is like Terra Server, or I think that's the name of what it used to be called. So all the Earth images that Google bought and the satellites that Google bought like years and years ago, looks like they've sold them to Planet and entered in some sort of deal for using the content. This looks to be another move by Google to focus on their core business and get out of some of their peripheral stuff. Researchers can extract audio from a video where none was recorded simply by watching how surfaces vibrated. This thing is absolutely insane. So I saw a video, which I think is the link, where um, it was a camera pointing through a plate glass window and then distant inside the room that it was pointed at was a chips package, you know, like a Doritos package or whatever, just laying on the ground. So it's taking video of this package and based on the resolution of the video, it can watch the package vibrate. And based on the vibrations, it can discern what was being said in the room. That is freaky and awesome. Amazon now has more than 340,000 employees and they've added over 110,000 just this year. Human news. Researchers have data mined 1,700 of the most popular stories of all time and have discovered that they tend to follow six main story arcs. Really cool story. And actually the link has this awesome presentation by Kurt Vonnegut on story arcs. Ideas. What is mobile 2.0? So I did a post basically trying to capture web 2.0. And basically what I'm saying is that Web 2.0 was a conversion from flat link-based experiences to application-like experiences. And I'm saying mobile 2.0 is the conversion from using applications manually with your hands and poking and stuff to using digital assistance via voice and text. In other words, it'll be the transition from direct interaction to brokered interaction with the brokers being your digital assistant and chatbots. Exploration of human-to-computer interfaces. So here I break down different types of interfaces, input interfaces and output interfaces, and what they might look like going forward. So input interfaces, I have manual physical interaction, manual touchscreen interaction, natural speech, voice, natural speech, text, and then neural, which is basically you... You just think and it happens. Output interfaces, physical or projected 2D display, physical or projected 3D display, audible, neural sensory, so you actually see or hear what's being returned, and then neural direct, which is it kind of skips all of that experience and just gives you the knowledge, which I point out that I'm not sure if that's even possible. One thing I talk about is technology limitations versus the medium limitations. So Benedict Evans, really smart guy on, on a lot of these topics, is arguing with someone on Twitter, imagine that, where they're like, yeah, you know, voice is everything. 
voice is going to dominate everything. It's the best possible thing. It's the endpoint. It's going to get rid of all other interfaces. And Benedict is like, try, try choosing a flight on the phone. And I sort of expanded it out to try using Excel, using a voice interface, right? There's a time and place for different types of interfaces, right? Voice input is great if you're driving. Text input is great if you're in a library. Voice output is great if you're giving your computer basic commands at home. Visual output is ideal if you need lots of data at once or if the content is visual itself. Neural interfaces are basically hardware shortcuts to all of these, and it's too early even to talk about them much. And one thing I pointed out in this piece is that voice and text are actually kind of the same thing. It's, it's really just a human speaking the way they normally speak. And there could be some differences between how you speak vocally and how you type in text, especially with emoticons and stuff like that, emojis and stuff like that. But for the most part, when you interact, when, you, when you're sort of speaking naturally, you can do that via voice and you can do that via text. And it's the job of the system, the machine learning algorithm or whatever, to sort of parse that correctly and do what you want it to do. So I think um, voice and text are largely just natural language. So my summary here was, there are many ways for humans to send input to and receive output from computers. These methods are not hierarchical, meaning voice is not always better than text and audible is not always better than visual. Voice and text are different forms of natural language that computers need to be able to parse and respond to correctly. And human tasks will map to one or more ideal input output methods. And those will evolve along with available technology. Purple teams mean you're failing at red and blue. I decided to just post this one again because I was talking to someone about it again recently. It was all over Twitter, whatever. And I felt I just need to mention it again. Um, basically, <laughs> purple is great as a role. The, the concept of purple is amazing. It, it's basically the mix of red and blue, right? And you get purple and that's why it's called that. And as a function, as a role, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. My point is that that role and that function should be played by the natural interaction of red and blue. The whole purpose, and this is the, the link that I'm talking about here, the whole purpose of red is to improve an organization's effectiveness. That that's the original sort of source of the word, right? It's a military term for an external organization, improving the effectiveness of another organization. And in this case, the organization we're talking about is the red team. The red team is there to improve what organization, the blue team. So, you don't really have a good red team that's not there to improve the blue team. And you don't have improvement of a blue team by the red team that doesn't involve interaction of the two, right? So if you have a purple function and you call it purple teaming or it's a purple meeting or something, 
then I, I would say that that's fine and awesome and cool. But if you have a separate purple team with separate people and a separate manager or whatever, because red is not talking to blue, in my opinion, that's a broken organization. That, that is red not understanding that their purpose is to improve blue and they're not, you know, so special and so elite that they don't have to talk to the blue people. So that's, that's kind of my point. I wanted to make one more time interaction between the two teams. is fine, but the function should be with the red team because that's entire purpose. The clash of the extreme left and right will create a new centrism. This is a, well, it's kind of political, but um, it's not political in the sense that it's breaking my rule of not being political in this podcast because it doesn't take a position left or right. It's actually a centrist position. And basically the only point I'm making here is that people are being forced to choose between crazy liberalism and crazy right. And the center is being eaten away and it's really harming the country. And basically you could say any given comment and you get labeled as a Trump person or you get labeled as a crazy left person. And that treatment then forces you into one direction or the other. And you end up with fewer and fewer people in the center with just logical common sense views. And I think the fact that everyone's being polarized to these sides, it's going to smash together. It's going to be nasty. We're already seeing a lot of that. And what it's going to do is it's going to produce in the country a desire for a new type of party, a new type of centrism. And I talk about in the essay, uh, something called radical centrism, which I learned about from Charles Whelan reading a few of his books. And it's the idea that you take the best ideas from both sides and you sort of, you follow the data, you follow the logic, you follow common sense, and you're, you're not willing to embrace any entire set of ideas on their own. You, you pick and choose, you take the best ideas from, from all sides. And I think that's the type of party that's going to come out of this mess because I think the American people are going to be just completely tired of being forced to choose between two idiotic sides. So that's what I wrote about there. Next one, Hollywood is dying because they don't make movies anymore. They make hats and whistles. <laughs> this is uh, this is not my piece. This is someone else's, but it was uh, fantastic. So the, the main story that they talk about is uh, they're basically saying that Hollywood is dying because they've they're drinking their own Kool Aid. They're just all obsessed with the idea of Hollywood and and sort of the machinations of being in Hollywood, but they're not making content anymore. And now all the real content's being made by like Netflix and Amazon, and just people coming from the side that they never would have thought of, you know, five ten years ago. So they have this awesome example of. Um, Basically, they were shooting a scene. The, the person writing the article has been in Hollywood for like decades or whatever. And they were observing the scene 
where um, they're re- recording an actual scene in a movie or whatever, a TV show, I'm not sure. And uh, so the actor gives a line, the director says cut, walks over and gives him some guidance on you know how to do the line better or whatever. And as he's talking to him, a drop of water comes down and like lands on their clothes. So the director reaches up and like, you know, swishes away the water or whatever, clears it off so it's not visible on the camera. And from the side, a woman comes and is like freaking out because she's in charge of like the wardrobe. And evidently there's an entire union behind her that's in charge of the clothes. And she's like, don't you ever you know, do that. That's my job to do that. That's our job. That's our union and so-and-so. And so this native Hollywood person is watching this and realizing that like everyone on the set is part of some union that is fiercely defending their specific role, whether it's like set design or costume or whatever. And they're not focused on making the best content. Right. And, and as a result, he's basically saying Hollywood's going to get destroyed because the best stories, the best content is going to come out of people who are focused on story and focused on content. And meanwhile, Hollywood will just spend millions of dollars with all these unions running around and, you know, playing Hollywood, but they won't actually be doing Hollywood anymore. So I thought it was a fascinating essay. You should check it out. All right. Discovery. Stream Alert. A serverless real-time data analysis framework lets you ingest, analyze, and alert on data from any environment. I think I saw this down at the Riot. I believe this was um, one of the Riot presentations. I uh, saw down at AppSet Cali. Fantastic-looking project. Can't wait to play with that. Um, Comics, an automated all-in-one OS command injection and exploitation tool. From Mimikatz to Kekio, passing by new Microsoft security technologies. The Gartner Quadrant Report for Endpoint Protection. Brute Subs. Run multiple open source subdomain brute forcing tools in parallel using your own word list, also known as Seclus, using Docker. Cyberprobe, capturing, analyzing, and responding to cyber attacks. How to bypass AV and run Mimikatz. This is a super cool article. Really trivial changes you can make to binaries and other content to have it pass through Mimikatz or have it pass through AV and run your Mimikatz. And a framework of consequences when you have unhappy developers. This is a really cool link. It's uh, some sort of academic research actually, but it's like, here's what happens to your development uh, performance in various forms when your developers are not happy. Pretty cool link. All right, notes. I'll be giving a talk at RSA on Thursday at 1 p.m. or 1.30 p.m. 
at Moscone West, room 2005. The talk is on using adaptive testing methodologies to test medical devices. I'll also be spending a good amount of time during the conference at IOActive's IOASIS, which is right down the street from Moscone. It's like a little sanctuary away from the show where you can come and talk about security, you can get a massage, definitely stop by and say hello. I just finished Lexicon. It is a fantastic sci-fi book. Cannot recommend this book enough. And uh, I'd go so far as to say that anyone who likes this podcast will love this book. It's called Lexicon. Um, Probably in my top five of fiction books ever. And I just started reading Hamilton's biography. Um, Yeah, called Alexander Hamilton. Recommendations. Consider, Consider filling out your taxes as quickly as possible and having your loved ones do the same as it will make you less likely to be a victim of this tax fraud stuff that's going around. And the aphorism for the week, life is not lost by dying. Life is lost minute by minute, day by dragging day, in all the thousand small and uncaring ways. Stephen Vincent Benet. I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.